Oh, thanks, Elisa. I'll keep that in mind. She's offered to back me up in case something happens. Now, I'm, I'm, uh, that was a, a beautiful, reflective uh, time of worship there. I'm, I'm about to jar things slightly. The title of my message this morning is Hate Crime. Not terribly restful, really. But all will become clear. Um, because who knows that Jesus was always making controversial statements. And one of the most controversial statements that he made was about love. Now, no, it's not the one you're thinking. You know, you're, you're expect, you're the, you know that one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. Love your neighbor as you love your... That's not the one. That actually occurs much later in the Gospels. He started off with this one, which is much harder to swallow. In Matthew 5.43, he says, You've heard the law that says love your aid love your neighbor and hate your enemy who likes that law he said but i say to you love your enemies pray for those who persecute you you sort of think well you could have started with the easy ones but we discussed last week that we we often look to these radical statements that jesus made as a, a way to differentiate this this newly emerging christian faith from the jewish faith that he grew up with I had an interesting discussion about the Christian faith um, during the week. And did you know that, that Christianity is the only religion whose leader was never a member? Jesus was never a Christian. He never went to church. Jesus was a Jew. And yet he instigated something completely new that he knew he was never going to be physically on earth a part of. And that's the only time that's actually ever happened. And so a lot of the things he said from a Jewish context were very jarring. Um, but it's interesting here, and the same thing happened last week, that although we think of love your enemies as a New, New Testament sort of um, concept, it's actually, and while it is a distinct theme through the New Testament, it's actually developed as a theme in the Old Testament as well. Exodus 23, 4 says, If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey that has strayed away, kill it. Oh, no, it doesn't. It says, take it back to its owner. It says, if you, if you see the donkey of someone who hates you that has collapsed under its load, do not walk by. Instead, stop and help. So this isn't a foreign concept to the audience that Jesus is talking to. Rather, I think he's addressing the corruption of Jewish law, which has crept into their culture, partly because, and I don't, don't know, you know, you know this, that they, were, they were an oppressed people. They had enemies left, right, back, front. They, they were a, an oppressed people. And when you're oppressed by your enemies, how do you feel about your enemies? You hate them. And so even though this was, this was part of their law, uh, that cultural shift had tended to uh, make that, those feelings very strong, plus the fact that they had uh, groups like the Pharisees and the Sadducees who had become very legalistic in their interpretation of the law, which meant that anybody who was not uh, in, as it were, were ostracized and treated with hatred, which was quite deeply ingrained into the Jewish culture by that stage. And it's interesting that the same passage in Luke puts it this way. In Luke 26, uh, sorry, 6, verse 27, it says, But to you who are willing to listen, 
I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who hurt you. Now notice here he says, you who are willing to listen. Implying that there are going to be many who aren't willing to listen. And so uh, you can go to coffee early if you like. And uh, we'll speak to you later. Um, but it, it's interesting. It implies that even those who are willing to listen are going to need a radical attitude change because everything Jesus says seems co- so counterintuitive. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. These aren't things that naturally come to mind, at least to my mind, when we think about our enemies. And so Jesus goes on to give practical examples. In verse 29, he says, perhaps I need a demonstration. Somebody come up here. If somebody slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. <laughs> no, hang on, it was my turn. Are you blaming me for your redundancy? <laughs> hey, it's not, it's not called part-time, by the way. Now, you're like me, bivocational, I think is the, uh, is the phrase that people use. Um, if someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away for, from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Now, who has this on their wall at home? This is some really hard stuff to take. This is fairly radical action. Now, despite what, uh, what Mathan was trying to do, Jesus isn't there enabling physical abuse or encouraging theft. Um, but as we can see from, him, from his concluding statement, he's advocating treating others with the mercy and generosity that we would like to receive. If we are hurt... The idea is that we don't retreat into our shells and close out the world, but we stay open and soft and vulnerable. If other people's demands exceed our limits, we don't shut them out. We actually keep being generous. If others are careless in returning our stuff, we don't get snarky. Who really struggles with that one? I can talk about Pastor Vicky because she's not here this morning. And in case you were wondering, she's actually preaching at uh, C3 Melrose Park this morning. It's probably nearly almost finished. Um, and so uh, I can talk about her because she's not here. She hates people borrowing her stuff. Ooh, we're on fire. And not in a good way. Yep. I'm, uh, can we get the baskets around? We're going to have to take up an offering for a new light. Mm. Um, okay, very exciting. Um, now, where were we? Slapping each other on the... No, no, I've done that. Um, oh, borrowing things. That's right. I think that is the hardest hardest thing in the world. I mean, I think she gets it from her father because I can remember as, as a kid uh, borrowing her, her father's tools. And, and when I say borrowing, this is like a hammer. And if I borrowed his hammer, he would actually come with me show me where the hammer was, and then demonstrate how to bang in nails before I took it away. No matter how many times I'd borrowed the hammer, I always got the nail demonstration at the same time, just in case I'd forgotten how how, how to hammer in a nail. So we've got to be careful that we don't get too possessive about our stuff. And you sort of think, wow, most of us 
struggle to extend that sort of grace to, to our friends. Am I right? To do that to your enemies is hard. I mean, who's ever been out? And I've been in this situation where you go out with a group of friends and you go to a restaurant and you've gone out because you, you feel obliged or you, you want to go out, but things are tight. And so you have water and an entree and that's it. And at the end of the evening, somebody says, okay, we're going to split the bill evenly. <laughs> Who loves that? And you're thinking, oh, I haven't got the money. I came here and I had water. If I'd known you were going to do that, I'd have eaten everything on the, on the menu. Um, and sometimes we, we struggle. That's with friends. Uh, but I can remember being in those situations where I could not afford to have the bill split evenly because I just didn't have the money. Luckily, things have changed. I mean, we went out with Ben and Georgia um, and we made them pay for most of it on the weekend. <laughs> but we didn't quibble about the cents. It was nearly 50-50, but they've got two kids who eat like horses. Oh, gosh. And, they're, and they're, they've got far more money than, than we do, so. <laughs> the grandparents often do pay for it all, yes. Um, but that's only because we love them. So Jesus addresses th this aspect of it as well because he goes on, verse 32, he says, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? And there you were thinking you were a nice person. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. So, okay, here, here we are. We, we're all thinking we're good people because we're kind and thoughtful towards people we know and share common ground with. After all, you're all sitting there thinking, didn't Jesus say that the most important commandment was to love your neighbour? And hopefully we're on reasonable terms with our neighbours. I mean, sometimes we have frenemies as neighbours. This is an encouragement for his audience, the people that he's talking to who had a problem with this. And I think you know, no matter where we are in time, this applies to us as well, is that we, we need to start thinking differently about God's plan for humankind. In the Old Testament, we know, if, if, if you've, hopefully you've read it, that God started with a family of Abraham to use them as an example of a, a family under his protection and what living as a uh, people obedient to God would look like. And that grew into the nation of Israel, who were an example to the nations of the rest of the world about what it would like to be like to be a nation who obeyed God and, and followed, followed him faithfully. We know how well that went. Um, and, but God's redemptive power was focused on Israel to show the way. And so what ha what's happened now is that Jesus has come and he's come to monumentally shift their thinking to encompass the whole of humanity. It's, it's something that requires quite a violent shift in our perceptions, in our attitudes, in our understanding of what Jesus is all about. He doubles down in the next two verses. He, this, I'll keep reading this. He doesn't let up. So he goes on and says, you must love... No... He doesn't. He says, 
this is Luke 6.35. We got... That's 30. Yep, there we go. Sorry, I've confused the, the good people up the back. If you love only those... No. Here we go. Lo, um, I might read from the back. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Is he serious? Then your reward from heaven will be very great. That I'm not going to answer, answer now, but I reckon they're great discussions for your dinner parties. So we won't unpack them, but I want to make three points for you to think about during the week. The first one is that although Jesus places strong emphasis on loving your enemies, it doesn't make it into his distillation of the law and the prophets. Just to refresh your memory, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So it doesn't make it into the big two. The second thing is that love in this context, in fact, most biblical contexts, is a deliberate, disciplined action, not an emotional response. We are not actually called to have warm, fuzzy feelings about our enemies. Did somebody sigh in relief? Rather, we're called to act in a godly way towards them in the same manner that God has shown us his great grace and mercy. After all, if we're honest, our enemies aren't the only ones who have been unthankful and wicked. I'm looking at a group of wicked people here. And thirdly, I think how we go about this is a bit different. I think that there's a warning in Matthew 6, which is quite important for the love we show our enemies. In Matthew 6, verse 1, it says, Watch out! Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Remember in Luke 6.35, it actually says, um, the reward from heaven will be very great. And here it warns that if you do your deeds in publicly to be admired by others, you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Now, I think this applies to everything we do for God. But in this case, even more so. Because I think the beneficiaries of this way of thinking are not our enemies. The title is hate crime. The hate comes from us. The crime is done to our, us as well. The people who are victims of hate are the people who hate. What Jesus is trying to tell us here is that our actions towards hating our enemies destroy us faster than it destroys our enemy. If we can change our thinking around so that we can love our enemies, guess who gets freed? We do. Hopefully our enemies do as well, but that's not our problem, is it? It's his problem. Bitterness towards our enemies will destroy us faster than them. There's a great story, because I don't know about you, but when you've done something really, really good, has anybody ever done something really, really good that, that they've done for somebody that they don't know? And you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, this, is, this is excellent. I've done such a good thing. I really must tell somebody. But what we do is, you know, it's just like Jim Carrey. We want to say, 
But we can't. God says not to do that. And so we have to do something different. And there's a, there's a great story. There's an English preacher slash prophet by the name of Graham Cook. Uh, he was very popular uh, in the 90s, early 2000s, I think. And he, he tells a, a great story uh, where he was traveling around England preaching uh, and doing meetings. And he discovered uh, at one point in his travels that uh, a particular pastor in the church had actually started preaching against him from his pulpit in the church. He actually got up and named him, said, yeah, this guy's a false prophet, he's a charlatan, uh, and don't have anything to do with him. And this actually started to spread, and he was doing meetings, and he, he was finding that people were coming up and questioning him about stuff and accusing him of things that he hadn't done, and, and, and meeting numbers started to drop, drop off, and he, he became quite distressed about the fact that these false stories were actually being preached by another Christian brother against him uh, about things that he, he hadn't actually done. And so he prayed about this. And as he was praying, he felt God said to him, give to this guy's church. And he prayed harder because he thought, you know, the devil's blocking my ears. And he said, he felt God say, no, I want you to give a hundred pounds to this enemy of yours. And so he it was devastating. So, so he got a hundred pounds. He put it in an envelope, discovered where this guy's guy lived. And at midnight, he drove there, got down the road, crept along the footpath and slipped it into his letterbox and ran off so that nobody could see him because he didn't want to be seen doing this. And you know what happened? The next morning, he heard about the message that this guy had preached. And this guy had found anonymously a hundred pounds in his letterbox. And so he preached on the favor of God and how God was blessing him because he was in the right and he, God wanted him to continue to uh, um, say things about Graham Cook. And so he, he went to prayer and he, he said, God, this isn't working. This is not. And God said, give him more. I want you to put 200 pounds in his letterbox. <laughs> He's sort of thinking, this is, this is ridiculous. So middle of the night again, he creeps into it and the guy keeps preaching against him. He said, God is with me. We are getting funds. People are, you know, God is providing for me. To, to preach, to get this devil-worshipping devil rabble off the face of the earth and stuff like this. And, and things went from bad to worse. So every time it did, God said, give him money. And he thought, this is, this is ridiculous. I, I, I don't understand why I'm doing this. But he did it faithfully. And one day, he woke up to the news that this guy's church ministry had collapsed totally. Now, he said he doesn't know whether it was because he was giving money to him that he got pr proud or whatever. Or he said he realized that whatever God was doing in that other person's life was none of his business. But what God was doing in his life was making sure that he loved his enemy, that he did not harbor bitterness or resentment towards that person for trying to destroy his life. And that he came out a better person because of it. Not because his enemy had been toppled, but because he had obeyed God and actually done something that was obedient, inconvenient, and sacrificial. He trusted God for a resolution. 
bitterness towards our enemies does more harm to us than it does to them. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. At enemy can be anyone or even anything that prevents us from, accompany, from accomplishing God's plan for us. Seeing the roadblocks, whether they're human or material, in our way, if we see them as opportunities rather than impediments, we can revolutionize our, our lives. Now that, that's hard to do. Because with roadblocks, with, with stoppages, with, with people coming against us, with circumstances coming against us, comes disappointment. Frustration. Anger. All of these emotions well up in us. It's sometimes very hard to sit there and say, okay, God, I, I can see this is a great opportunity. Yay. Hey, I feel so enthusiastic. I'm about to burst into tears. I hate this. But who knows that when we look back on the things we've, we've gone through, they've always yielded fruit that we couldn't see at the time. And so you know, in retrospect, we need to go and say, look, we should have, we should have done this differently but we never do here's our chance to look forward and say no matter what we're going to put our trust in God and we go to do things that revolutionize revolutionize our lives our minds are crippled when hate festers in them we can't rise to our protection when we're stuck under the circumstances you know that's a, that's a favorite phrase of people you ask them how they are oh, I'm doing well under the circumstances what are you doing under there <laughs> but it's 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 that out instead of saying i'm trusting in god and i'm doing well it's like i'm doing okay but let me tell you about all the hassles i'm having that's really what people want to say that's why it's why we, we train our greeters at the door never to say and how are you because people will tell them and sometimes you just don't want to know because it's not because you don't care but because you can have a line of people a mile long, the service has been going, we're into the second song and nobody's in here. Uh, and that's why on Good Friday, the cafe will be open at 9.45 and you'll be able to go for a coffee and tell people what circumstances you're under over there before you come over here. And so, yeah, if you're under the circumstances, my advice to you is get out. Don't use your circumstances as an excuse because if you're under anything, you can't rise to your potential. If you're lying under the doona, you can't stand up and, and move forward with the day. Now, don't get me wrong. I know there are days when sometimes I'd like to just stay under the doona. But we need to actually get up and get on with things. And so, can I get the band back up here as I, as I finish? The horrible thing about what I've preached this morning is that I don't think any of it's natural to us. The idea of loving our enemies, even though I've told you that it's not about an emotional feeling, it's actually making a decision to treat people differently even though they come against us or to treat circumstances differently if the circumstances are against us. It's not natural. It takes effort. And guess what the Bible tells us? We can't do it without God's help. And so we need to actually change our attitude, not just towards other people, 
but to how God works in our lives. You know, I, I like, um, can't remember who said it this morning, uh, whether it was in the prayer time about um, God will actually come into our lives and make our paths straight. Was, it, was that you, Nathan? Nobody can remember anyway. Uh, it's, it's one of those signs we read it and, we, uh, and I've read it before and I get this vision that I'm walking and suddenly the path in front of me becomes straight with no effort on my part. And I think that's, a, that's, that's this false idea we've got that, that God is there to smooth the way in our life. When God comes into our life and we are walking a path, what he does is enable us to walk a straight path, no matter what the real path looks like. To actually trust in him that he is guiding our way, the road isn't guiding our way. It's not a question of what the, what the geography looks like, it's actually what our faith looks like. And so we need to take a shift of attitude. We need to actually recognize first off that we need God to do this. And so I want us this morning to take the first step towards loving our enemies. And that's to acknowledge that we can't do it without God's help. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives refreshed daily to make this work. That is, of course, if we have ears to listen. So let's for a moment just stand, if you will. So I'm going to get the band just to sing that nice reflective song of George again. And as they do that, I want to open up this altar this morning for us to just come and do a transaction, do business with God this morning. Because I'm only guessing here, but I would say that most of us have enemies. People who have come against us, people who make our lives a struggle or it may just be circumstances that we're fighting against that you know, we don't know how to overcome, that are part of our lives that make us miserable. And we need to change our attitude towards them. We actually need to make some decisions about how we treat those circumstances or treat those people. And we need God's help to do that. We need his strength to continue in that. And so as they sing, I want to open up this altar here. I want to invite you to come out I'm not going to pray for you. And you could do it in your seats. But I believe that it's most effective when we interact with God, if we actually take a step to move towards him, if we show him that we're serious, we're not just standing there saying, okay, God, do your stuff. It's like, no, God, I want this. I need to change something in my life. I need a, I need to, a reversal of my attitude. I need to do something which is going to lift me above the circumstances, which is going to make me a better person, which is going to make my enemy be an opportunity rather than an impediment. So I encourage you, as they sing, let's just come out onto the altar. Let God speak to us. Let him open our hearts and renew our minds this morning. Just for the next five minutes or so, just going to take this time to worship and to ask God how we are going to avoid hate crime by letting him into our lives so that we can love our enemies. Thanks, guys. Is it about? Lord, let your love not just flow into us, but through us. Let your compassion 
flow into us and through us. Let our enemies receive your love through us. Good. Through the power and the presence and the grace and the mercy of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We can love our enemies with the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you're here this morning and you struggle with the whole concept of loving your enemies because you're trying to do it on your own, I'd like to issue you an invitation to get Jesus on board because he is the only hope you have of managing that particular aspect of the Christian life and others. But to have his help, have his Holy Spirit, have his presence daily in your life, you have to invite Jesus in. So if you've never invited Jesus into your heart, or you have, but you know you've kicked him out, because we do that sometimes, I'd love to pray with you after the service just to invite him in to start a journey, either anew or afresh, to walk with him, guiding your steps, powering your life. I'll be here just for a few minutes at the end of the service. If that's you, I'd love to pray with you.